Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Hello, Behind the Knife listeners. We are so excited to be back with you for another Journal Club in Colon and Rectal Surgery on local excision for rectal cancer with the Leahy Colorectal Surgery Team. We have another very special guest who's joining us today, and I'm going to introduce him shortly. Uh, And today we're going to tackle some articles central to the discussion on local excision for rectal cancer. So welcome to the team. We have Dr. Peter West, Marcello, and Dr. Tess Hannah Allett. Hey, team. Hey, guys. Um, Great to be back doing another episode. You know, we're just finishing up ski season, although we're getting a little late snow. was not a good season. But I want to put a plug in. If you want a good ski meeting and learn some colorectal, go to the Midwest Colorectal Meeting this year in Sun Valley, Idaho. Next year is going to be in Squaw Valley, uh, so in March. So look forward to that. Sounds phenomenal. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'll be at the New England meeting. Uh, Yeah, well, good to see everybody. Awesome. All right, well, today we have a very special guest who's going to be joining us. Uh, I'm honored introduce Dr. Jose Guillem. Dr. Guillem did a surgical training at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center, followed by his colon and rectal surgery fellowship at Leahy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Guillem is the chief of the GI division at UNC and Roscoe Bennett Gray Cowper Distinguished Professor. Prior to joining UNC, Dr. Guillem was an attending colorectal surgeon at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, serving as leader in the advancement of oncologic care for patients with colon and rectal cancer. And that's where I was fortunate enough, actually, to spend a few months training under Dr. Guillem. Uh, and so it brings me great joy to welcome him to the Leahy Behind the Knife crew. Uh, we're thrilled to have a Leahy alumni join us and share his expertise for this session. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. So, you know, we know uh, Jose or Pepe from his early years at Leahy. And uh, John, why don't we show the next slide? Yeah. Now, look at that <laughs> difference we got going on there. Now, John, what do you want to remind Let me fix my hair. John, you want to remind the listeners? Remind the listeners. So uh, we like to uh, do this with our videos on so you can see our beautiful faces and with a PowerPoint slide so you can follow along with our talk. So we have a beautiful picture uh, of Dr. Guillaume, probably not too many years ago, I would say, yeah. right? During, During his fellowship, fellowship with uh, Tom Stahl, who was at, uh, was at Georgetown, and uh, Phil Fleshner out at um, Cedar sinai in California. But the honor is, is that uh, Pepe is our first alumni uh, special guest, and I know that Fleshner will be a little upset about that. I'm sure he will. He deserves it. <laughs> All right, All right let's let's dive into the heart of the discussion. So local excision for rectal cancer. And so these are these can be really difficult cases. Um, you know, and great, great discussions at Tumor Board. Um, we have two great articles that we want to review. 
Um, and so we're going to want to uh, start off with a systematic review and meta-analysis that was published in Diseases of Colon Rectal, uh, Diseases of Colon and Rectum, uh, comparing local resection with radical resection in the treatment of T1 rectal cancer. Uh, and then we're going to discuss the ACOZOG Z6041 trial, organ preservation for clinical T2 N0 distal rectal cancer using neoadjuvant chemoradiation therapy and local excision. Uh, so Tess, why don't you take it away and get us going with the first study? Thanks, John. So We've previously talked on uh, other episodes about how the treatment of rectal cancer has evolved. Um, We previously discussed a few articles on total neoadjuvant or TNT treatment. And so today we're going to be talking now about uh, early rectal cancers and how do we treat them. Uh, I'm going to discuss the local resection compared with radical resection in the treatment of T1, N0, M0, rectal adenocarcinoma. And why does this matter? We know that the rectum functionally is the powerhouse for providing normal defecation. As Dr. Marcello always says, it's the smart organ. I use that phrase today in clinic. Uh, um, But We know that it provides a really important function. And additionally, when we think about doing a traditional TME and proctectomy, we're performing pelvic dissection where we're injuring, potentially we risk injuring the nerves and can result in both sexual and genitourinary dysfunction. So for patients with early rectal cancers, do we need to do this? So while local resection has been shown uh, to decrease some of these surgical risks, we're not performing the standard TME. And so with local excision, we're not sampling the nodes. And this raises the question of whether these cancers are being pathologically staged correctly and are they getting the adjuvant treatment that they should. So this was a systematic review, meta-analysis. The aim of the study was to compare local with radical resection for patients with T1 rectal cancer, looking at survival, local recurrence, post-op complications, and need for permanent stoma. A systematic review was done looking specifically at local resection using transanal procedures and radical resection. Radical resection referred to abdominal surgery using TME principles, and depending on the location of the tumor, this may have included an LAR, an APR, or a Hartman. Local excision included both transanal excision or excision using transanal endoscopic microsurgery, or TEMS, None of the studies included TAMIS. Endoscopic polypectomies were excluded. All of the patients were clinically staged preoperatively and were found to be T1 and 0 M0. There was one randomized control trial, but most of these 12 were observational studies. And none of the studies included or reported on neoadjuvant treatments. There were six that discussed the use of adjuvant treatments. There was one randomized control trial in the study and was underpowered. And a majority of these studies were observational. They did perform subgroup analysis to try and control for some of the heterogeneity of the trials and found that patients undergoing local resection had significantly lower rate of five-year overall survival. There were 72 more deaths per 1,000 patients. And this difference um, was not seen when they broke this, uh, did subgroup analysis and broke it down specifically looking at TEM versus radical resection. They did do regression analysis and showed that if the ratio of lower rectal cancers was the same in each group, that there was not a statistically significant difference in the five-year overall survival. Local resection overall was associated with an increased risk of local recurrence, 
and that did not change with any subgroup analysis. Not unsurprisingly, local resection had a lower perioperative morbidity, mortality, and need for permanent stoma. There was no difference in survival when they looked at subgroup analysis of low-risk or high-risk local excision and overall higher survival with radical resection. So ultimately, they concluded that local resection versus radical resection depends on balancing the goal of cure and quality of life and function, which may differ for each individual patient. TEM in their subgroup analysis offered oncologic control similar to that of radical resection in terms of survival without some of the higher morbidity and mortality, but that radical resection overall demonstrated the best five-year survival. So I think overall the quality of evidence was pretty low and there you know, was a lot of concern for selection bias in a lot of these studies. There's a lot of heterogeneity. Um, and I think you know, the review is helpful in laying some of the groundwork for our discussion tonight. I think the question of adjuvant therapy on the outcomes is important. And again, because of the heterogeneity in these studies, um, you know, that wasn't looked at um, and you know, some limitations there. Uh, Marcella, what, what are your thoughts on, on this study? Yeah, I think it's a good study to give you some background on things, but I think um, I want to give a little historical perspective. So can we go to the next slide, John? So I want to focus uh, on the uh, study from the University of Minnesota, because um, I just remember that being at the meeting. When I trained and when Pepe trained, and he'll give his thoughts, local excision was thought to be a good option for early stage cancers with high cure rates, uh, very low recurrence rates. We thought it was pretty good. And then at the year, the, this, the national meeting in the year 2000, ASCRS, Minnesota presented their results looking at local excision for T1 and T2 cancers versus radical resection. And what they found was that the local recurrence rate was uh, 10% for the local excision and zero for T1 uh, uh, cancers. And for T2 cancers, the local recurrence rate was 25%. And seeing that number of 25% recurrence rates for T2s blew us all away. And then there were further studies uh, from Morris on Kettering where um, Jose was in Cleveland and Mayo. They all confirmed that the local excision has about a 10% recurrence rate at least for T1 cancers and closer to 25% for T2. So Pepe, what, what are your thoughts about uh, this study and where does local excision lie and uh, its impact? Yeah, great observation, Peter. I mean, I recall this study, and there were several L's that followed around that time, and we were quite enthusiastic. But what brought a lot of attention to us was the work, I thought, by Nancy Yu, Nancy Baxter, and Heidi Nelson. There was a JNCI paper that pointed out that there was an overutilization of local excisions for both T1s and T2s, and that was a national cancer database. And it really showed that there was an inadequate operation, but there was a lag. There had been a lag in the uptake. There was an increase in utilization of it, at the same time, the data didn't support it. So lots of studies, as you pointed out, at, at the end, at Sloan, we looked at this and in about at 10 years, the failure rate was about one in five, wow. 18, 18%. So one in five, uh, it's a high number. And, and if you're looking at a TME, it's about a 3% failure rate. Total mesorectal excision for a T1 lesion versus a local excision, which is almost 18, 20%. John, why don't you show the next slide? Uh, uh, Pepe, tell us about this the, this study from Mayo and how that might impact why local excision may or may not be a good option. Right. So this is a, a great study. Sandy Vatman put this out. David Larson was a fellow author on that. And it took advantage of some of the work that the Japanese have been doing 
uh, prior to this, back in 1993, Kudo first published on the SM level. And this is about 300 level of semicausal invasion, one, two, and three. And you can see there on the right side, the likelihood of lymph node metastases increasing with the depth of penetration. And this study also pointed out nicely, there were three variables, the, the height of the lesion in the rectum. So the lower the down in the rectum, presence of lymphovascular invasion and semicausal invasion. So these were the three uh, statistically significant variables that were associated with a high failure rate with a local excision. So some suggestions that you could measure the SM level, but as we know, the accuracy in measuring SM is not that high and it's not that trivial. Pathologists will challenge you. They may not be able to tell us accuracy on the SM invasion. Yeah. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I I mean, it's... I... Speaking about the pathologist, I do feel like that's often a question we ask during our tumor board conferences. It's not sometimes not reported in the initial report, and we're always sort of asking for it. And I know that they really struggle to provide us with that definitive information. We love to go by this based on the guide and try to provide our best risk assessment for the patient uh, of lymph node metastasis and whether we think local excision is acceptable or whether or not they are going to need further therapy. And I know it ends up being a, a very difficult conversation. I think that's where the multidisciplinary uh, aspect really comes in. Tess, uh, being our young grad, have you done any local excisions since you've been in practice? Not yet. Yeah. I have not really found a, a patient that um, really meets the criteria, any uh, early T1, you know, SM1, or I think in my approach probably would be more for a uh, you know, a lesion that looks potentially um, like a large polyp that I'm performing maybe a, an excisional biopsy to get better T staging, but I have not yet had any in my practice yet. Don't worry, it'll, it'll come. Do I <laughs> want to move on? Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, great, great, great discussion, gang. You know, we'll move on to, you know, our next uh, study that we're going to talk about. So um, this is a paper uh, from Dr. Julio Garcia Aguilar. Uh, entitled Organ Preservation for Clinical T2 N0 Distal Rectal Cancer Using Neoadjuvant Chemoradiation Therapy in Local Excision, so ACOZOG Z6041. And so up until now, we've really just been talking about local excision for clinical T1 um, NX or N0 rectal cancer. So now we're sort of expanding the possible indication to T2 N0. Um, you know, and so what we were just talking about is we're hearing that there's a lot of high risk for local recurrence, right? So 18%, that's pretty high inferior survival compared to transabdominal resection. So what if you throw into the mix neoadjuvant treatment, so chemoradiation therapy? Uh, so the aim of this study was to look at both functional and oncologic outcomes of patients who underwent uh, neoadjuvant chemoradiation therapy and local excision with stage two N0 rectal cancer. So this is a multi-institution study, so prospective open-label non-randomized study for inclusion criteria, the tumor had to be clinical T2N0, and this could be staged by endorectal ultrasound or MRI. More on that topic shortly. Uh, and the tumor had to be less than four centimeters, less than 40% of the circumference of the wall, uh, and located within eight centimeters of the anal verge. Patients had to have an ECOG performance status of at least two, and they then received long course chemoradiation therapy with capecitabine plus oxaliplatin for five weeks, followed by local excision four to eight weeks after treatment. Uh, local excision could be done by transanal excision or TEM uh, with full thickness excision and one centimeter margins. The primary outcome was three-year disease-free survival. Uh, and then they also looked at tumor recurrence and then uh, interactive function and quality of life at one year. 
Uh, after excision, patients uh, underwent surveillance every four months for the first three years. Uh, and then they assessed quality of life during enrollment uh, prior to treatment. Uh, and then one year after excision using a number of validated instruments. And their median follow-up was about uh, 56 months. So 79 patients were eligible and ultimately 77 uh, underwent surgery. Uh, their power analysis had stated they needed at least 70 patients. Uh, and then there were a total of 72 patients who completed the treatment per protocol. Um, and so they did an intentional intention, additional intention to treat analysis. All right. So when we look at some of the numbers, so their uh, estimated three-year disease-free survival for the intention to treat group was 88%. Uh, per protocol group was about 87%. Uh, the three-year overall survival uh, was 95%. Uh, and the per protocol group was about 90, uh, 96%. Uh, 38% of patients underwent uh, transanal uh, endoscopic microsurgery, or TEM, and 62% uh, underwent transanal excision. No difference in survival based on the uh, uh, operative approach. Uh, at the end of the study, 91% of patients had preserved their rectum. So clinical T2N0 being treated and preserving the rectum. Uh, in their study, 4% rate of local recurrence. So you'll pay attention to some of the numbers here, right? So Dr. Guillaume before was talking about a 3% local recurrence for a T1N0 for a TME, 18% for local excision uh, for a T1. And so in this study, T2N0 combining local excision with chemoradiation therapy, 4% rate of local recurrence. Uh, and then looking at quality of life metrics were stable over a one-year one year time period. And so they concluded that was uh, adequate for quality of life. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. So, you know, important takeaways from the study, um, patients tolerated the treatment without significant impact to their function or quality of life when you do local excision and radiation therapy. Uh, interestingly, almost half of patients with long-course chemoradiation therapy had a pathologic complete response. Uh, which becomes interesting when you talk about uh, non-operative management. You know, and overall survival and disease-free survival are quite comparable and range with, with, with what is reported for T2 cancers undergoing proctectomy. You know, so I, I, it's a relatively short follow-up period at three years. And so it's certainly possible that uh, local recurrence or survival effects aren't fully captured uh, in that time frame. although do, we do believe the majority of local recurrences happen within the first couple of years. Uh, and overall, the authors conclude that this approach is, uh, you know, can be an alternative to carefully selected patients with clinical T2 and zero rectal cancer. So very interested to hear, you know, Dr. Guillaume, what your thought is about this paper uh, and then how you are approaching clinical T2 and zero rectal cancers in your practice in 2023. Yeah, thanks, John. I think it's a great study. Um, as you know, there's a more recent update on this that just came out in analysis surgery in 2021. The first author is Lynn and what they did in that study, which elaborates on this study, is compare this experience with the Dutch rectal trial. So the Dutch, the subset of rectal patients in the Dutch trial that only had TME, and the results are comparable. So uh, disease-free survival and overall survival is comparable whether you get a TME for a T2 or whether you go through preoperative RT and local excision. The problem is that at five years, uh, they've looked back and looked at the quality of life in some of these patients 
and a significant number of them will have significant toxicity and morbidity with a pre-op radiation and local excision, somewhere in the order of 70%. And these, as you know, not, are not insignificant. Pain, poor healing at the suture line, skin changes, and hematopological uh, uh, problems. So I think you have to decide personally, you know, what are your results with a TME without the long-term effects of a pre-operation versus pre-operation therapy? So I, I prefer, I'll unless I've got a patient who does not want to go through uh, major abdominal surgery robotically, uh, laparoscopically or open, if they don't want that and they understand that there's a significant morbidity with a preoperative RT and local excision, I just as soon offer a TME. I think that's uh, interesting, uh, Jose, and I, and I don't disagree with you. Um, and I also want to shed something we haven't really talked about. Um, you know, and again, more work from the University of Minnesota. So when the 2000 study came out to show the high uh, rates of local recurrence, what happens to those who fail and develop a local recurrence? Uh, we used to think, no problem, you can go back uh, and, and do the same TMA you're going to do and they'll get the same outcome. Uh, so the, this study came out in 2002 with Charlie Friel, uh, the presenting author. Charlie was a de deaconess resident with me, so a shout out to my deaconess colorectal colleagues. Um, they looked at T1 and T2 cancers that had failed after local excision. They had 29 patients. Uh, and the bottom line in the end was the disease-free disease survival was 68% uh, with the favorable histology. And so you could only salvage about two-thirds of these patients. So if you fail a local excision, um, there's a one in three chance you may not survive this versus something that was a T1 cancer, which would by TME would have a high rate of survival. Now, granted, this is 2000, uh, or 2000 and before, so we didn't have MRIs, uh, we didn't have the same uh, follow-ups, but it just really shed to light that um, if you fail a local excision, you can't guarantee cure by just going in and operating. I would just add one comment to that, Peter. As you know, the salvage rate may is, as you pointed out, but when they're performing these salvage operations, often they're multivisceral. Accelerations, right. pelvic sidewall dissections, need for intraoperation therapy, and about one-third are no longer eligible for sphincter-preserving options. Yeah, so, so what's interesting is that most of these cases were done by traditional transanal techniques, and, and since then there have been a plethora of things. Uh, Tess, you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, you know, at Leahy, it was great because we did a lot of uh, local excisions um, on multiple platforms. We did transanal, robotic, <clears throat> uh, TAMIS, TEM. Uh, and so I, you know, felt like got a really well-rounded uh, experience using all of these different platforms when trying to tackle some of these local excisions. Uh, Dr. Guillaume, do you have kind of any preferred approach if you're going to do a local excision? Probably transanal endoscopic microsurgery. That's my most experience with that. I like it. It's stability. I mean, it, there is a huge learning curve, I would say, but um, definite, you know, phenomenal uh, view. It's at its size lens, uh, significant magnification. Um, I'm looking forward to the SP once that's approved for this. I think it's going to be a game changer. But the challenges of any transanal excision, as we discussed, is the potential for inoculating cancer cells into the mesorectal space no matter how precise you're going to be. I think these uh, endoscopic, um, whether CM or SP, will yield perhaps better margins, but I'm still concerned about inoculating. John, what, what do you, what's your approach? 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm um, following my quote unquote big brother in in clinical practice right here, which is Dave Kleiman. I follow him where, wherever he's trained and and gone now, and so um, he's adopted robotic Tamis, and I would say that that's been my preferred approach right now. Similar to, to tests, I would say I haven't done one for uh, you know T1 or T2 rectal cancer so far. They've been you know large polyps. Um, you know, I do recall uh, quite vividly uh, doing TEM uh, and fellowship in St. Louis. And getting incredibly frustrated with the TEM platform and, and having a really difficult time. And so I, I definitely hear you, Dr. Guillermo, is very challenging learning curve and I think uh, can be frustrating. Well, if we're going to talk about TM, uh, Tess, tell us about what it was like. You trained at UVM with Peter Gataldo, who's got a phenomenal experience with this. So tell us a little bit about uh, their results. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So at UVM, uh, Cataldo did quite a bit of uh, TEM, and that was um, early on, uh, did a lot of colorectal as an intern uh, and joined him in these cases and really loved it. Um, so shout out to the UVM crew. They they published a paper in 2017 uh, in DCR, which looked at their experience using TEM for early rectal cancer. They had 92 patients, um, followed them for about five years, um, about half were T1 and 40 41% T2. And they found pretty similar results to kind of what we had previously discussed. Uh, three-year disease-specific survival was, was high at 98%. Uh, overall survival was about 89. Um, and, you know, concluded that in select patient, you know, organ preservation may be appropriate. Didn't you uh, travel up to UVM at some point? Uh, yeah, Pat, Pat Roberts and I went up to watch Peter back probably in the early 2000s. And uh, I had done a lot of laparoscopy, so I felt pretty comfortable with it. And I do like it, as I'm sure John likes the robotic TAMIS, is that uh, doing TEMS, you can control the entire field, right? You control the, the camera and the instruments. When you do TAMIS, you're, you're like your your elbows are always you know you're punching and fighting with the person trying to hold the camera. The camera's over here. I like the autonomy of TEMS as my platform uh, when you do it. So that's my my I would say my preference at this stage. I think another you know important thing that comes up and we mentioned it a little bit earlier. Um, you know, it's how we're staging these, these, these patients, and this is this can be where that conversation in MDT becomes so critical. How do you know it's T1? How do you know it's T2? How do you know that the nodes are negative and no, no, nodes are positive? Um, Dr. Gaiman, are, are you using indirect ultrasound for any of these patients in terms of preoperative staging or evaluation? No longer. We started with that big time way back, but evolved to MRI. I think the reproducibility, the ability to see it on the screen with your whole DMT is, is important. Uh, but I always tell my patients that best we're dealing with about 85% accuracy. If you look at all of the data, old and recent on ultrasound MRI staging, it's at best 85%. So I tell them 15% chance we may be over or under staging you. Yeah, for me, I, I would say that uh, I look at doing a transanal excision really for a definitive T stage, something that's really, I do not trust MRI for T0, T1. So I look at local excision uh, for this. I, I, I think the important part is if it's distal, you got to make sure you're not going to screw up your margin uh, for radical resection. Right, Jose? Correct. I'd agree. Yeah, sometimes you've got to offer the patient. The reality is you've got a T, we think a T1 lesion. There's a chance it may come back as a T2. And if we've wasted some of that distance with a T1 excision, it's going to be a challenge to do a uh, coloanal. So I have had some patients who said, I understand it. Let's go ahead and do the TME. John, and then sometimes it's come back as a T2. Yeah. 
John, where do you think then local excision falls in your algorithm? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I would, in terms of treating it more as uh, more of a diagnostic uh, strategy and less for therapeutics. Um, and so full thickness, full thickness excision, given the discussions we were talking about and not in terms of not burning bridges with a colanal, um, I, I think is where it's going to be particularly helpful. Again, so far in my practice has, has, has not been for cancers, but more for, for large polyps. Um, but I think that's probably where it shakes out. Yeah. Jose, is there a group that, that if you do a transient excision on, get a good margins, that that'll be it? Uh, what, what is that? What kind of cancer is that that just gets a TEM excision and then nothing else? Well, I'm I'm most comfortable if it's an upper lesion, and this is where these transanal endoscopic, whether it's the SP, the XI, or any of the TAMIS approach, you know, the higher the lesion is, the less likelihood of mesorectal lymph node involvement. Uh, I think if they're you know well differentiated, there is no perineural, no perivascular invasion, uh, and it's an in total full thickness excision, and I've got good pathology confirming this. Uh, I'm comfortable, yeah. but you know this is a really you know shared decision making, and you've got to look at the patient. It's probably ideal for someone who cannot handle major surgery. Some of these temps I've been able to send home the, the same day. Yeah. I mean, I've done some senior gentlemen and on the left decubitus position uh, with a spinal. Um, don't need general anesthesia. For me, it's really it's going to be the, all those factors plus an SM one. So yeah. I do play weight to the SM level of invasion. If it's an SM1, all good features, then we observe right, currently in our practice. If they're SM2 or SM3 and they don't want radical surgery, then we will add in adjuvant treatment afterwards uh, and observe. And I mm-hmm. and I look forward to being able to go back, John. Maybe at some point we can look at that uh, that group. Well, it's interesting you say that order because I think that that's probably how we think about it now when we think about um, – you know, that, that ACASOG study, you know, it was long course chemo radiation therapy and then local excision. So I guess what is everyone's thoughts about the order of affairs if you're going to include radiation therapy? I think uh, I'll just tell you that my experience was when you do chemo radiation first, long course, and then do transanal excision, those wounds may take a long time to heal. And if they're low, they are in a lot of discomfort. So I'd rather go the other way around, get the lesion out and then decide. What about if you have, you know, say you do a big excision and then what's kind of your duration of waiting to to do the uh, adjuvant therapy afterwards? Do you flex them and make sure it's healed or, you know, what do you do? Jose, what do you think? How long would you wait? That's a good question. I probably, yeah, definitely would do a digital rectal and look at the um, at the site if it's healed. I mean, ideally. Two months at least before you start. I wait about a month. Yeah. I mean, I would yeah. see them in clinic in two weeks and assess. Yeah. I, I wait like two months before I let them start, but then they mm-hmm. start. Yeah. I think, you know, we, I think maybe for the first time in a long time in this particular recording, we heard the word digital rectal exam, um, which I think is so important when we talk yeah. about these lower T1, T2 lesions. We talk a lot about in clinic, the finger. Yes. Mm-hmm. For those who are watching, Peter's holding up his. If you're his watching, I got a very long, I got a size eight hand and a very long index finger. I can get, you know, 12, 15 centimeters. It's poor patient. Bioprobe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, especially, you know, we're talking about MRI and the anal canal is very, very difficult or just a rectum, you know, endorectal ultrasound, that situation might be better. But I think a good, you know, 
you know, using the, the digital exam, good endoscopic assessment, I think it buys you just as, as much as an MRI for an early stage mm-hmm. lesion in my experience. And Tess, I hope you remember, right, you can use that uh, uh, biopsy forceps as an extension of your finger, right, if you can't reach it, if you don't have those long fingers, move around the polyp, move around the lesion, does it move with the wall, uh, does it seem fixed, so a couple extra tips there. Mm-hmm. For my short fingers, yes, thank you. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Awesome. Great discussions. All right. Well, a great discussion as always. And we really are, are quite thankful uh, for Dr. Game for joining us. So let's get to our takeaways. All right, Tess, you're up. All right. So I think uh, my takeaways are, you know, noting the SM level, the LVI, the location in the rectum are key factors for predicting lymph node involvement. And then as we've discussed, just uh, uh, include your patient, discuss functions, cure, and share de- shared decision-making. Awesome. Marcelo's must-knows. All right, the must-knows. I don't care what technique you use of uh, local excision, but uh, the most important is the goal. you got to have negative margins. You've got to do a good resection of the area uh, if you're going to try to achieve a uh, chance of cure. When the primary, while the primary goal may be cure and the secondary goal is function, when it means having a colostomy, some patients will uh, alter their plans. And I think you got to have that good discussion. And remember, if you fail a local excision, you can only salvage about two thirds. Great. All right. We got for our special guest, Guillaume's guide. Hit us. Thank you. Uh, And carefully select the T1 rectal cancers who have good pathological features. And what do we mean by good features? You've heard it several times. These are the well-differentiated, no perineural invasion, no lymphovascular invasion, and an SM1 level of invasion. They have to be ideally located up in the upper rectum and negative margins. Uh, If someone's too ill to tolerate a total mesorectal excision, and they're informed that at 10 years, the failure rate may be one in five, and if they do fail, one third will require multivisceral resection. Then I think everybody's on the same page, and this is an option. I don't think it's sole therapy for T2 rectal cancers, as has been stated, but in very carefully selected T2s in whom you pr- pursue preoperative radiation and chemotherapy and then a local excision, I think the oncological results, as we've seen, are good, but I'm concerned about the r- high rate of toxicity and morbidity, about 70% in this population. So you got to balance that. What are your personal results versus, you know, pre-op RT and local excision? Great. John. Awesome. Thank you. Abelson's yeah, Abelson's approach. approach. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's it's a lot of the same, you know, comments. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the goal of those papers talk about organ preservation, which has become much more of a hot to- topic when we talk about TNT and watching weight. Um, and so I do think it's something that should be discussed and brought up with patients, even if, uh, you know, don't necessarily think it's the best oncologic uh, approach. Um, you know, I personally would say I have minimal experience, as we talked about with, you know, local excision, especially for T2s. Um, but I think open to all options, uh, you know, talk about it with the patient. And as um, Dr. Guillaume was saying, if they're too ill, that might be the best, best strategy. All right. So with that, we're going to wrap up our sixth episode. Uh, so again, if you like diving into the weeds with us, consider joining uh, Sunday evenings for our colorectal surgery virtual education series. Uh, you can also check out our show notes for more details. And we hope to uh, continue to have the privilege to share creative content with you in the future. Uh, if you enjoyed the session, please do take a minute uh, or two out of your hectic day to leave us a review. And as Behind the Knife always says, until the next time, dominate, dominate the day. The day. 
Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.